name of God, most merciful, ever merciful. And may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Muhammad. Brothers, sisters, and respected viewers, wherever you may be, Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, welcome to our series on the afterlife, where we will, inshallah, today try to uh, finish the topic that we began on giving a glimpse or images of the Day of Judgment. So, inshallah, this is going to constitute our last of these uh, installments. Uh, for the brothers on Zoom, if you can simply confirm that you can hear me, uh, and we will continue, inshallah. So, as we said, we're not going to recap the topic from the beginning. One of the things that we're attempting to do here is to provide uh, an image, a clearer image for those who are trying to understand our belief system about the events of the afterlife. And one of the things I think that can help not only at the theoretical level, so inshallah the theory part is, is good and complete and we've presented the arguments and we said from this point on it's not really a matter of applying human reason and logic to the, uh, to the outcomes. We need to go back to the scripture. We need to get the details from the scripture because human knowledge on its own is incapable of getting into the details of the afterlife, especially, you know, the details of the Day of Judgment and what happens afterwards. So, keeping this in mind, there is, as we said, this is the more theoretical component. And inshallah, everything that we're presenting serves this purpose and makes it clear that everything that we've presented at a more theoretical level, uh, now we're getting the details that go with it. That's one, one component of this. The other component, and we haven't really talked much about it specifically on its own, but inshallah, this is one of the derivatives of this discussion. One of the reasons why we're spending a little bit longer here is that this has a practical purpose. It has a very uh, applied purpose in our lives. They, without using too many examples here, simply saying that it's very different for someone to say, I understand there's an afterlife. I understand there is, generally speaking, a heaven and a hell. And we ultimately end up for all of eternity in heaven and hell. That's one way of understanding things, if that's all you know. It's a completely, I think, different discussion. And I'm not talking here about the theory of it. I'm talking about how you live your life and the moral impacts, the ethical impacts it has on you, when you know the details, when we say heaven, what we mean by it. The images, a lot of what motivates, what drives, what encourages a human being to act one way or another, is based on the images that they have. The mental image that you have of something is that which really pushes you towards moving in one direction or another. In a lot of cases, if you're trying to, one of the things they teach, for instance, the, the top athletes of the world, to push them in those 
most crucial of competitions they have, let's say people who are participating in Olympics, they usually have coaches, psychologists, who are working with them on an aspect they call visualizing. They, they visualize the race and they visualize themselves winning because that triggers in them certain emotions and feelings and they tell them, Is that what, isn't that what you really want? Isn't that what you're working for? And so if you can generate that type of mental image in yourself before it happens, you're much better able to move towards what you're aspiring to or move away from it. So the opposite is also true. Usually if you're trying, if you think, let's say, I don't know, I have an exam and you're thinking about the exam, I better study. It's one thing to think about simply having an exam and having to study because theoretically, I don't know, you feel like you have a duty or that's one way to think about it. The other one is you actually visualize yourself going through the exam, the stress of not knowing how to answer, and then you visualize, you imagine everything that will happen afterwards. What will happen to your grade? What will happen to your tuition fees? What will happen to your scholarship? What will your friends say? What will your family say? What, how will you be viewed by others? And so on and so forth. This is a much stronger driver for you to sit and study. Even if it's unconscious. But because you're doing that act of visualizing, the driver, the motivation, the incentive to do or not to do, this applies on both sides. As we said, when you want something, or you want to avoid something, to a human being, it's very powerful to be able to visualize what is happening, even if it has not happened yet. So if you keep this in mind, and you come back to this topic, the topic of the afterlife, it's one thing to understand it theoretically, it's a completely different thing when you know enough details to be able to generate in yourself mental images of what we're talking about. And usually the mental images, especially for people who, especially for people who may, sorry, we lost, uh, I think we lost all of internet here. So to recap very quickly where, where we had stopped, we said that one of the reasons why we're spending a little bit more time on this topic is that it has a very practical benefit. The benefit is that it allows us to visualize what we're talking about. And this is very different from talking about something that we simply understand in theory. You may have an idea about something, it's abstract, it doesn't really motivate you much. It might be at the level of feeling a duty, feeling a responsibility. But that's different from actually understanding and feeling the benefit that you will get, the pleasure, the delight that you get, if, for instance, you succeed or you accomplish something, uh, the, the pride that you get, for instance, with that accomplishment. Or on the other side, if you really understand that there might be a fear associated with something, some bad consequences, negative consequences, a reputation, a loss of money, a loss of whatever it may be, that you can actually imagine or visualize before it happens, then this is going to be a much more powerful incentive for you to act or not to act, depending on what you want. And we said even the top athletes in the world, this is a very well-known thing, where they hire coaches, usually experts in psychology, who will help them with the visualization. 
okay, of what will happen. What are the next steps? Can you really imagine it? Can you imagine it to the point where you experience it, where you can taste it, where you can smell it, when you can see it in your mind? If you go to the narrations, and if more than the narrations, if you go to the verses of the Holy Quran, this is the point that we're trying to make. We're not, you know, artificially in this in these lectures and others, we're not artificially trying to create these images. In fact, we're not even looking at all the images that have been given to us in the Holy Quran. We're looking at samples, at glimpses of these. And if the Holy Quran took the time to present all of these, there's a reason. And in part, it's because someone who can imagine all of this, who truly understands it, is not going to behave in the same way. Is going to be able to drive themselves, self-motivate towards good and away from evil. And inshallah, when we talk about, you know, in the future, we'll mention some narrations from Imam Ali alayhi salam, the Hijjah Balagha and elsewhere. We will see that this is something that is mentioned in our narrations, that there are people who reach a point of certainty that they can not only imagine, it's as though they are right now in this life, in this world, it is as though they are already in heaven or already in hell. And so, of course, this is where it begins. You must at least, at first, be aware of these details. You look at the knowledge, you get the images, and then they stay with you and you think about them. And you see, what does it mean for you? Everything that we're presenting, especially at the speed with which we're presenting this, a lot of this should be presented in much you know, smaller chunks, as they say, so that you take a little bit and you go and you think about it. But because we're kind of on a, you know, a, a system of beliefs course, we're moving faster than we would for, let's say, an akhlaq course, an ethics course, where you take one thought, one idea that is very important, and you take it back and you think about it and you reflect and you try to build your life based on this. So let's try to at least do a little bit of both. We are presenting the theory, we're presenting the, uh, the, the knowledge that goes with, the, with these ideas, the... the the actual articles of faith, the parts of faith, the arguments that go with them, and the scriptural evidence that supports it, that's all good. Try to add to it, and this is a part that you have to work at by yourselves, for yourselves. That you take this and you try to see, what does it mean? If we talked about this, if I truly believe that this is how it is, if I truly believe that the Holy Quran says this, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my lifestyle, for my priorities? Okay, so this was a quick introduction that perhaps we haven't spent too much time talking about, but this is one of the reasons why we're spending a little bit longer here. This is a trick that the biggest of our scholars of ethics use, and they did not invent it. They took it directly from the Holy Prophet and the Imams, who basically tell you, if you want to be the best that you can be, sometimes people are always trying to, how do I come up with my priorities in life? How do I live? How do I push myself away from, you know, the addictions and the things that are difficult for me to get rid of? How do I get that discipline? Where do I get the motivation from? And of course, we can talk so much about a lot of things that can be done. But bottom line is what we're presenting here. The Holy Prophet says, Remember the destroyer of pleasures, which is death and everything that happens after death. If this stays front and center in the way you view the world, in the way you view your life and your priorities,
then everything else is forced to fall into place. You're no longer going to come up, even those things that seemed very difficult before, suddenly, the more you understand these points, they go without saying. Because it's a matter of survival and more. It's a matter of necessity. But everything depends on to what extent do you actually believe in these things, right? So until now, when we talked about the afterlife, this is a part that, inshallah, we can go very quickly over, and then we jump into where we had stopped the last time we met. We talked about how the world in which we live is going to come to an end. And the Holy Quran doesn't just say, this world of yours is going to come to an end. It gives us details. It goes, you know, one part after another, one chapter after another, one thing after another. It, it's like a camera in a movie moving from one scene to another. It talks about the lands or the planet on which we live. It talks about the mountains and the seas and what happens to them and how they are annihilated. And then what happens to the heavens, the skies and everything in them, planets, stars, galaxies. Clearly there is an entire, entirely different world being created and the world in which we exist is being annihilated, is being destroyed. Okay, so we're not repeating all of that. We said at the end of all of this, what marks the official formal end of this world is going to be the shout, the cry, the blast, whatever we may call it, a sayha, right? And this brings an end to everything that is alive for sure, and most likely everything that exists. This seems to be the end of this world as we know it. And when the Holy Quran describes everything else that has happened until now, there is not much left in this world. When it says, for instance, the skies have been shattered, torn apart, rolled up like a script, and so on and so forth, there's nothing left in this world. And then there's the shout, all will die except those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to keep alive. And then there is a second shout. And this marks the beginning, the official beginning of the afterlife, the existential dimension. Okay, because we said sometimes we refer to the afterlife as everything that happens after we die. For our practical purposes, for a human being, because we're stuck with the actions that we can do, yes, the moment you have died, there's nothing else you can do. You're stuck with your actions. So even in our narrations, we have some narrations that say, as soon as a human being dies, his day of judgment has started. Right? That's it. It's as though your day of judgment is right here. Even though there is everything that we described in terms of the steps that happen after we, as we are dying and we die and then Alam al-Barzakh, as we talked about, the truth is practically there is nothing left for us to do. We're simply going through the consequences of our actions. But officially, the afterlife begins with the second shout. And so we begin, we began by talking about some of the big milestones. And there's a lot more than these, as we said, but these are the big ones. The first one being, as the creatures rise back into existence and the state they find themselves in. There's a, a, a scattered confusion, there's a fear, and so on and so forth, but there's a general movement towards being in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for judgment. And then there's the actual judgment that takes place. And we talked a little bit about some of the big parts of that, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings the witnesses, how we have a register or a book that is 
ascribed specifically and personally to each of us, but also to our communities, our uh, ummah as a society, and perhaps even at the level of history. And this forces us to think about not only the personal, individual responsibilities, duties that we may have, but also the collective and social ones. And then we said, as part of this, this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, your, the only thing that is going to be sealed is your tongue or your mouth. You're the one who is... SubhanAllah, we just lost the internet again. So what we were saying is that as we go through the events as they are described in about the Day of Judgment in the, uh, in the Holy Quran, we see a description of some of the big milestones, including the rising back to life from the graves, a movement towards this land or this place or this state where the divine tribunal is going to take place. And this is a tribunal that takes place at the level of individuals for each and every one of us on our own. But it also takes place, and we saw the verses, it takes place at the level of communities and societies. And beyond that, one of the things that clearly uh, jumps out at us when we read the verses of the Quran, when they talk about what is happening, one of the things that is distinctive about this entire phase, this entire chapter of existence, and one of its main features that are different from this world, is that this world is a world of appearances. The world of the afterlife is a world of truth. Again and again, the whole Quran talks about it in different ways, but always bringing it back to the notion of truth. The judgment is made, is made based on truth. The truth is going to become manifest, and everything that you see is going to be truth. And every uh, speech that is uttered, every word that is uttered, in that entire uh, world is going to be only based on truth. There is no place for lies. Not because you know, you're not allowed to say lies. Because that is not a world where lies can happen. This is part of the system, the laws of that world, is a law where only truth is manifested. Okay? And so that requires its own thinking and, and what it means. But part of this is that as we stand there for trial. There is no need for any of us to try to explain what we did and what we didn't do. The truth comes forth by itself to you and to everyone else. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically says the only thing that is not allowed to speak on that day is going to be your tongue or your mouth. Because that's the only organ capable of lying or who, that still wants to lie at that point and defend itself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We seal their mouths off. And everything else is going to be a witness. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, you know, your organs, your skin, your hands and your feet, and, and the registers, and the angels, and the prophets, and everything else is coming forth as a witness. To say, yes, this is the good that was done, and this is the bad that was done. And this happens, as we said, at the level of individuals and at the level of societies. Once all of this takes place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we saw at the end, gives his judgment, and then people are split into different groups. And the groups start moving towards their eternal abode. And we're not going to go back into the, into the verses that talked about this, but clearly there's kind of a back and forth. 
There are people who are with others, they lived together in this world, and yet they end up being split and they talk to each other. Those who are being led to hell are talking to those who are being led to heaven. And they see them walking or moving or being taken there, taken there. And you see the, the light moving, the whole Quran says, before them and to the right. And they tell them, we want to take, allow us to take some of that light, but they will not be allowed. So all of this is still happening. And these interactions are described in the whole Quran in multiple ways to remind us that we're all still aware of each other, except that we're very pre preoccupied by our own state and by our own you know, fate. And we said this is where we see human beings finally moving towards their eternal abode, their eternal resting place, and that is going to be their heaven or their hell. And so once those, that first group, we start with the people moving towards paradise, moving towards heaven, we said and we saw in the verses of the Holy Quran, even the manner in which they are taken is completely different than how the other group is taken. There is dignity and there is respect and there is constant uh, reminders that they are at peace and they are greeted with peace and it's almost a, that they are congratulated for what they have been able to accomplish. And this is something that is very important that we clearly see in the verses of the whole Quran. Because the majority of people are interested and all we know in this world are these you know, material pleasures and delights and, and uh, you know, enjoyments that we have in this world. So the Holy Quran says all of that will be there. But there's always more. The Holy Quran always says more. And so as we go through these verses, notice how through everything that we've described, the Holy Quran doesn't only talk about, you know, your surroundings and your environment. It always talks also about your, let's call it your psychological state, the state of your heart. How are you feeling? And how are you being dealt with to, to make you feel a certain way? So you have this group that constantly is being congratulated, is being made at peace. The fear is removed from them. The sorrow is removed from them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says again and again, and we'll see that today. And so now finally, they're about to enter. And even now as they enter paradise, we're going to see some of that. And then the other group where there is, in addition to all of the other types of torment and punishment and torture, there is one dimension that is psychological. It's how you're feeling, and there's humiliation and regret and guilt, right? And this is as bad, if not worse, and the truth is, it's a lot worse than what's happening around you, because the spiritual is always stronger than the, than the physical, okay? And that requires its own discussions. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Holy Quran tells us that those who are being brought to, to heaven, they are being entered, made to enter into something that looks like, the whole Quran describes like gardens. Now remember the golden rules that we have given until now, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we are going to create you in that which you do not know. So no matter how well the descriptions are given, we're limited by our understanding of this language. Okay? And we're going to see some verses that seem to indicate that it is so much more than what these verses and these words are saying. But this is the best that we have to work with as human beings living in this world. To understand what heaven is and what hell is. Okay? We're going to see that in some verses. 
So you're made to enter into gardens, and the gardens are described, as we said, because this is what human beings are first interested in, or the majority of people are interested in. So the Holy Quran uses this language. It says that these gardens are as wide as the heavens and the earth, and that they are full of these, uh, you know, we would refer to them as orchards or gardens of fruits, full of, of vegetation, lush, beautiful vegetation, somewhere where it is well known that if a human being looks at sites like this in this world, you suddenly become at ease. There's a sort of uh, peacefulness and serenity and joy that overtakes you without anything else, just being surrounded or being in the presence of this type of landscape in front of you. So this is the landscape that is being described. This is the type of landscape you're being brought into. And with fruits, so this is everything that you eat, the delicious foods, all sorts of foods are described as we will see, the comforts, the luxuries, uh, the dwellings, the, the, the how they sit and what they sit on. And then there's rivers, and the rivers are more than just rivers of water, which is something very important for those people, but for human beings in general throughout history. And we'll see some of the descriptions given of those rivers and how the honey and the wine or whatever liquids they are made to be allowed to drink, they do not have any of the side effects that we find them having in this world. And then, this is the key that the Holy Quran again and again explains, whatever they desire is going to be theirs. Whatever they wish is going to be theirs. Okay, so whatever they desire, and the key, the next key is, and there is more. And inshallah we'll see the verses. And then, of course, the Holy Quran describes so every detail of their existence there, including the clothes they wear, the decorations, the, 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 the furniture they sit on, the canopies, the sofas, the chairs, all of this is described, and there's actually all of these and more, that they are in groups, they are interacting with each other, and the type of speech that there is is only speech that is the Holy Quran referred to as praising of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and peace, which is very different from the types of speeches that we hear in this world, okay? If, especially if you are in a company. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says these people, all the talk that there is between them is praise of Allah and peace, okay? So it's not that they're not talking, it's that this is the meaning of everything that they're saying. Uh, they will never know anything like fatigue, boredom, fear, Anything that basically diminishes from their level of peace, of their delight, of their uh, feeling completely uh, in bliss and, and joy and satisfied. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, as they enter into this world, anything that falls in those categories of hatred, fear, anything that may, dis may, may uh, diminish that uh, feeling, a state of peace and tranquility and happiness, is removed from their hearts. That doesn't exist in the world that they're about to enter. Okay, and this is why I say, always notice how Allah subhanahu wa constantly refers to the more psychological states. But Allah subhanahu wa also knows human nature, and He knows how human beings are stuck to the things that are very material and physical that they know in this world and that are their main delights and what they're looking for. So He says all of this is available and more, always. And then, of course, the Holy Quran adds, they are served by youthful servants. They're described like looking as though they are like pearls. 
They are given delicious drinks that fill them with. And so the drink is not like only having a taste that you enjoy. It has effects, it seems, in certain verses of the whole Quran. It's like it's that which fills them with a type of vigor and energy, and that gives them kind of a renewed feeling of wanting to remain there longer and to enjoy things even more. Okay? In any case, there are no side effects. They have beautiful spouses. The spouses, and this is something, again, notice the, the psychological aspect. The whole Quran always says that spouses are fully dedicated. Okay? It's like you have your full attention all the time. And then these are different types of pleasures and, and satisfaction and feelings of bliss than just talking about something physical or material. Okay? In any case, and greater than all of that, and that's the end of all of this, the Holy Quran says there is a all these spiritual pleasures, and the climax of them is knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with them. And they feel happy with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They feel that they are now in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the presence of Allah. They have, there's a pride that comes with this. There's an accomplishment, a sense of accomplishment that comes with this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly reminds them of that. Okay, so this never really goes away. And in fact, this seems to be the highest level of pleasure to those who are in heaven is these feelings. These feelings of knowing you are the, in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are much more in the mercy. You have made it into the special mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one for which he created you. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now wanting to show you fully his generosity. And the blessings that you're entitled to for having done the work. Much more than you could ever imagine. Okay, and this is where... You know, that you feel the, the climax of the, the pleasure and the satisfaction of those who are in heaven. And of course, those who are in hell is the exact opposite of this. That you feel that you have been kicked out, pushed away from the mercy of Allah. And so this is a feeling where, you know, of, of guilt and shame and embarrassment that comes on top of everything else that is described. So if we look at some of the verses of the Holy Quran that talk about this. وَمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَلَا أَوْلَادُكُمْ بِالَّتِي تُقَرِّبُكُمْ عِنْدَنَا زُلْفَ إِلَّا مَنْ آمَنَا وَعَمِلَا صَالِحًا فَأُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ جَزَاءُ الضِّعْفِ بِمَا عَمِلُوا وَهُمْ فِي الْغُرُفَاتِ آمِنُونَ This is kind of a wrap-up of the whole thing. It is not your wealth nor your children that will bring you close to us in nearness except those who have faith and act righteously. It is they for whom there will be a twofold reward. So this is... The, the, the feeling that you have and the knowledge that you have, the satisfaction that you get of seeing everything that you put in, all the efforts that you made, all the sacrifices that you made, they're multiplied. The reward is constantly multiplied. You're not getting one for one. So it's a very good deal. You're constantly reminded of the good deal that you had. Okay, so the Holy Quran says it is they for whom there will be a twofold reward. And in other words, in, in other verses, inshallah, we'll see it next lectures, it's a lot more than just twofold. There's a lot more multiplication or amplification of the rewards than just two. Okay, for what they did, and they will be secure. So this is a more, uh, let's call it psychological state. They will be secure in lofty abodes. Al-Gharaf. Al-Gharaf is like a very luxurious uh, room that is overlooking something. You know, like there's almost, a, you'd say it's a canopy or it's a, a, almost an apartment building with a, 
you know, a veranda, or you know, you're able to see what's lower. Okay, that's the ghuraf. The Quran talks about and the ghuraf is like these elevated, lofty, very luxurious places. Wasariu. This is these are two very interesting verses. The first one is Wasariu Wasariu is rush, you know, hasten towards or rush. Another one says Wasabiku. Sabiku is yes, rush, but it's almost a competition between each other. Race each other for it. Compete for it. Because we're going to see other verses where the Holy Quran says, you are competing in this world, except you're competing for all the wrong things. It's vainglorious competition. That means absolutely nothing. You're giving merit to things that are worthless. And so the Quran says, you want to compete for something. You want to race each other for something. The Holy Quran says, this is where you need to fight. This is where you need to race each other and compete against each other. Hasten towards your Lord's forgiveness. So see, he starts here with the forgiveness before an explanation of the, let's call them the more material pleasures. Okay, so the beginning is hasten towards your Lord's forgiveness and a paradise as vast as the heavens and the earth prepared for the pious. The next verse is in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, These are longer descriptions given in the Holy Quran. There are a series of verses described in the Holy Quran. This is one of them. In Surah Al-Waqi'ah, you have a beautiful description of those who are in heaven. And, you know, in Surah Al-Rahman, you have some of that. In Surah Al-Insan, you have some of that. Surah Al-Mutafifin and others. You see series of verses describing the different aspects. You, it really gives you an image of, you know, you can really imagine it and see it happening in front of you. They will be those who are, uh, you know, made to enter into heaven. This group, because there's two groups described in Surah Al-Waqa'ah entering into heaven. There's Ashab al-Yameen and there's Al-Muqarrabeen. So now it says, they will be on gold-encrusted couches, reclining thereon, facing one another. Immortal young men wait upon them with goblets, pitchers, and a cup from a flowing spring, the, and these, of course, you know, if, if we had time, each one of these would de deserve its own description and commentary and thinking about. There are people in heaven, we're told, they drink directly from the source. Others are given cups. Others are made to drink in goblets or pitchers or, or, or. These are different groups and different categories and each of these has its own, you know, deserves its own thinking because it has its own effects. Not everything is given to everyone in the same way, okay? But very quickly, immortal young men wait upon them with goblets and pitchers and a cup from a flowing spring, which causes neither headache nor intoxication, and fruits of their choosing, and meat from any bird they desire, and wide-eyed maidens, these are wahurunheen, right? And wide-eyed maidens, like concealed pearls, a reward for what they used to do. And we have these types of descriptions, as we said, so the insan mutafifi, you have some references there. In other verses, it says, It's a very interesting description. The Holy Quran doesn't say that it's the branches that are coming down on them. It says the shades are coming down to them. Okay? So it's shades in those trees in, in heaven. The shades of those trees will come down low over them. And it's pickings, so the fruits of the Holy Quran says, those things that you pick from them, and it's pickings hang down low within their reach. 
There's no effort on their part, like you would have to do in this world where you have to go and get the fruit and harvest. No, no, they come to you. All of this is leaning towards you, okay? And this is in Surah Al-Insan, Surah Al-Haqqa, we have similar verses. And then Surah Al-Zukhruf, golden trays and cups will be passed around to them, and therein will be whatever the soul's desire. So in heaven will be whatever the soul's desire, and the eyes delight in. So whatever you could imagine that brings a delight to your eyes is going to be there. Whatever a soul may desire is going to be there. And this is the bottom line. We can go on, the whole Quran says in these descriptions, but the bottom line is whatever your soul desires will be there. Whatever can bring delight and joy to the eye will be there. Okay? And will be and there and therein will be whatever the soul's desire and the eyes delight in. And uh, in Surah Al-Nahl, the gardens of Eden, Jannat Ad, which they will enter with streams running in them. There they will have whatever they wish. And thus does Allah reward the pious. And in Surah Al-Furqan, there they will have whatever they wish, abiding forever. A promise that is binding on your Lord. And of course, the reason I'm mentioning these is each one of these verses is adding in one different detail than another, but we're going quickly here. The bottom line from all of these, I cluster them together, is that you see that the theme of, yes, we went through some specifics, some descriptions. Here's the food, here's the drink, here's the clothes, here's the furniture, here's the... But bottom line is, whatever can potentially bring joy and delight and happiness and bliss is going to be there. And we're going to see and more. Those shall be the ones rewarded with sublime abodes for their patience, and they shall be met there with greetings and peace. So now we want to look at the verses that start talking more about the, the psychological effects beyond all the material you know, delights and pleasures that we described. The parable, the parable, methalu. This is where I always bring your attention to this. We give these images as they are given to us from the Holy Quran and given to us in the narrations. But notice even the language of the Holy Quran. In some cases, it gives you the hint. It says, And then it's going to describe the four big rivers in, in the gardens, in, in heaven, in paradise. So a parable or a method or an example or an allegory or an analogy is not the thing itself. I'm giving you an example, I'm giving you a parable, I'm making an analogy to make you understand something I can't just explain to you as is. So I'm using an example or a story to bring your attention to it. By things that you already know, I'm bringing your attention to things that you do not know. That's how parables are used, right? I tell you a story to make you understand lessons. The story is not the lessons. I give you an example. The example is not the thing I'm trying to explain. The example is just that, just an example. The Holy Quran, when it talks about that heaven that we're talking about, it says, مَثَلُ The example, the analogy, the parable of the garden that has been promised to the pious, therein lie rivers of water incorruptible. Because in this world, if water remains there, it becomes bad. It smells, it, it, it mixes with other things. Over there, it's pure water. And of course, again, all of these are examples. Okay? 
Rivers of water incorruptible. Rivers of milk whose flavor does not change. Rivers of wine delicious for those who drink it and rivers of purified honey. Therein they partake of every fruit and of forgiveness from their Lord. And they, uh, are they, are these people who are in that world, are they like one who abides in the fire and those who are made to drink a boiling liquid which then tears apart their bowels? And of course, on the other side, it's also a parable. It's also to make you understand what awaits. This is not what it is. We can't understand it with words. This is the best that we have to understand what awaits us. The next verses. So say, shall I inform you of something better than that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for those who are pious, God-weary, there will be with their Lord gardens, with streams running in them. And so here notice that it doesn't just say, here the pleasure that you're getting is not just that it is a garden. No, it's a garden with your Lord. That's different. You know when someone says, you know, there is there might be a joy in doing something, but it's completely a different joy. It takes it to another level if you're in company of people you really enjoy. A best friend or a family member or whomever you really want to spend time with. That activity takes a completely different meaning and becomes a completely different experience because of who you're with. So the whole Quran doesn't say it's just Jannat. It's Jannatun and Rabbi. Okay, that's the key here. Okay, in any case, say, shall I inform you of something better than that? For those who are God-weary, there will be with their Lord gardens, with streams running in them, and to remain in them forever, and purified mates, and Allah's pleasure, and Allah is all-seeing of His servants. Okay, so here, notice how it's wrapped in the psychological states, a description of the psychological states. Allah has promised the faithful, men and women, Gardens with streams running in them to remain in them forever and good dwellings in the gardens of Eden. Yet Allah's pleasure is greater than all of these. That is the great success. So that's the feeling of having made it. The success, the accomplishment. Know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Know that the life of this world is just play and diversion and glitter, zinatun, and mutual vainglory. This is the the com competition that we talked about. The Holy Quran says, we want you to compete. We want you to race each other for things, but for the things that matter. Not the trickery of this world, not the insignificance of this world. So it says, and know, اعلم أنما الحياة الدنيا لعب ولهو وزينة وتفاخر بينكم. There's this constant, you look to see who has what, and I try to outdo them. Right? Tafakhurum baynakum. There's a pride that comes with beating someone else with at whatever it is. I made it further. I have more success. I accomplished more. Tafakhurum baynakum. Watakathurun. And this is the vainglorious competition. Takathurun. Who has more? Takathurun. Fil amwali wal Okay? So these are the things. And it may be different for some people are looking. But at the end of the day, it's all about this life and this world and the things that go away. Right? And the Holy Quran described all of this as, you know, the, here the translation is glitter. It's all zina. It's all decorations that, you know, don't get tricked by them. Don't, don't get tricked by, you know, bedazzled by them. Okay? Like the rain, and so this is a description, like the rain whose vegetation impresses the farmer. 
So basically, there are farmers, they plant, it rains, and the plants grow. And they're very impressed with what they see. And then suddenly, then it withers, and you see it turn yellow. This is the life. This is a description of this world, right? It says, you're looking at it as a farmer looks at their lush vegetation that now it has rained and it has all come out. But the truth is that, what will happen next? What will happen is, and you see it turn yellow, then it becomes chaff, so it dies, it becomes nothingness, while in the hereafter. So this is the life of this world, while, by comparison, and the hereafter, the afterlife, there is a severe punishment and forgiveness from Allah and His pleasure. So you get to choose. You want the punishment or you want the forgiveness and the pleasure of Allah. And the life of this world is nothing but the wares, the things of delusion. So this is to bring us back to the notion of the truth. That's the world of truth. This is a world of delusion, trickery, uh, glitter, uh, you know, vainglorious, uh, you know, vanity, as they say, things that don't mean anything in themselves. Their reward near their Lord. Again, so here, notice the, the great delight that comes of being in the presence of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their reward near their Lord is the gardens of Eden with streams running in them to remain therein forever. And so this is the another type of enjoyment or benefit of delight that you have that you know that you're going to remain there forever. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. That is for those who fear their Lord. The gardens of Eden, which they will enter along with whoever is righteous from among their forebears, their spouses, their descendants, and the angels will call on them from every door. Peace be upon you for your patience. How excellent is the reward of the ultimate abode. And so here you notice, to me, all of this is a description of things beyond the material and the physical. Who are you in the presence of? And, you know, the joy and the delight and the pleasure that comes from this, that you are with your ancestors and those who are your descendants. And because you were part of a chain, right? If you were good and righteous, most likely it was because people before you were good and righteous that led to this. And you played your role, and then you see what happens to the next generations and your descendants and how you help them. And right now you can't see it, what will happen 500 or 1,000 years from now through to your descendants. But then, when all of it will be present to you, there's a, an additional feeling of joy and delight and, and satisfaction of knowing how you fit into something like this. Right? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is describing more than just the physical. This is much more spiritual, psychological pleasures. So all of this, they are surrounded, their spouses, descendants, and then on top of that, the angels. Greeting them, congratulating them, praying for them, telling them peace upon you for your patience. So there's a recognition, right? A congratulation in return for hard work, for your patience. They say, how excellent is the reward of the ultimate abode. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Zuhr says, Ya Ibadi, and that alone, if you go back to the commentaries, they tell you, that alone is a delight for someone who now is in the presence of Allah. And we said that's a real world. It's not like here where you understand the Lordship of Allah theoretically in this world. In that world, it will be clear to you. You will experience it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He talks to them, He doesn't just talk to them. It's like when you talk to someone you like, you may use the word that makes them feel how much you love them, right? Before you, you, you say whatever you want to say, even if it's just, you know, can you give me a bit of water? You might say, you know, my love, or 
Habibi or my son or whatever, Echi, Sadiqi, my cousin, whatever it may be. You want to make that person understand how much you cherish them and how much you respect them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, here, when He talks to them, He does that. He tells them, he tells them that you have been honored. You have reached the status of being my servants. So He tells them, Ya Ibadi. So there's an additional delight and pleasure that comes from that. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recognizes that you are worthy of being His servant. You were truly His servant. So He talks to them and He says, O oh my servants, today you will have no fear, nor will you grieve. Those who believed in our signs and had submitted, enter paradise, you and your spouses rejoicing. And then as we said, the Quran says that there will be no room in heaven, in paradise, for anything that may diminish the purity of the delight, of the pleasure, of the satisfaction that you have there. So as soon as you're about to enter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we will remove whatever hatred, rancor there is in their breasts and streams will run for them. They will say all praises to Allah who guided us to this. We would have never been guided had not Allah guided us. Our Lord's messengers had certainly brought the truth and the call would be made to them. This is paradise which you have been given to inherit because of what you used to do. They're called therein. So those who are there, when they talk, this is all a, a mention of the type of speech there is in heaven. Their call therein will be, O Allah, immaculate are you. Subhanakallahum. And their greeting therein will be peace. And the conclusion of their supplication will be, all praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And then, of course, the Quran says, They will have all they wish for there. They will have anything they wish for, and we have more. And so, there are verses in the Quran that seem to indicate, there's a few verses that talk about this. Some verses, they seem to say, whatever you want, we have, and we will give you, and it never ends. So we have more. We always have more. And so in Surah Al-Baqarah, for instance, in, in verse uh, 25, I didn't write it here, that's the impression you get. Every time they get thamara, uh, as the Quran says, they get a rizq. They say, we have just received like it before. And it's this constant feeling of this never ends. And this is very good. But there's also another interpretation to this, which is not only does it not end. Yes, it does not end. That is true. So, the verse is saying, whatever they wish, we have. And what about the things they can't wish? You don't know what else is there. How can you wish for something you don't know? And so this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we have more. The, the more is the stuff that we can't even explain to you human beings, because you don't know what it is. This awaits you only in heaven, in paradise. So this, to me, is the key here. The more... There's more than one interpretation, but it could be the key to opening all sorts of other types of delights and pleasures and uh, states that the whole Quran does not even talk about. It simply says, And we have more. And this might be also how we to add to this understanding when the whole Quran says, No soul knows what comfort is kept hidden for it as a recompense for what 
for that which they used to do. So why would the Holy Quran says that? It says no soul knows what is hidden for it as a reward for everything it does. Why would the Holy Quran says, say that if it already has just described everything? It talked about everything you're eating and drinking and the furniture and the spouses and the, what's awaiting you there. And then it adds, no soul knows what is hidden for it. So of course there is more. And so this is the more, right? So what the Holy Quran says, and there is more. Now on the other side, and let's go a little bit faster here. On the other side, we have those are made to enter into heaven. Now we have those who are made to enter into hell. The destination. Hell is the destination of those clearly in the Holy Quran who recognized the truth, who understood the truth, and decided to reject it. And inshallah, we'll talk about this in, in the future lectures. Okay, so this is the ultimate abode of those who saw the truth, understood the truth, and refused it, and rejected it, and denied it, and fight, fought it off. Okay? So that also includes, so this is the sense in which we understand those when we say someone is a disbeliever, that's what we mean. You know, there's a stubbornness, there's a, an active rejection of the truth. And in there are also included those who are the hypocrites, those who pretend to have accepted the truth. So everything you see about them externally looks like they have accepted the truth, but they haven't accepted it in their hearts. Their hearts have not accepted the truth. So those people also end up there. The same conclusion. And inshallah, we're going to talk about all of that. Why the external appearances, including all of your deeds and all of that, does not matter if the foundation of beliefs and intentions is not there. Okay? Inshallah, this is coming in a couple of lectures. So, one thing that is going to be clear is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also talks about hell being somewhere that is very ample, although there are different interpretations to this verse. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, There are multiple interpretations. The, the common one is that they say, you know, uh, it's asking for more because it always feels empty. So that's the torment. That's part of the torment, then, that you feel all alone all the time. And it's always ready to take more. But there's also another interpretation to this specific verse that is actually the opposite. When hell is saying that, it's asking is there still more? How many bad people were there? How many people rejected the truth when it was so clear? So, is there still more to be brought in? That's the other interpretation of that verse. Inshallah, we'll talk about that more later. But bottom line is that all the details that we will mention amount to every aspect of existing there translates into torment and punishment and unhappiness and uh, discomfort and so on and so forth. Just the opposite of what we saw in heaven. So you include anything and everything that is physical and material there, but you also include the psychological, spiritual states that you have as you are there. So there's, there's nothing but feelings of, as we said, fear, guilt, regret, shame, embarrassment, and so on and so forth. Okay, and the whole Quran talks about this a lot. Um, and that includes those, so we saw how, you know, you were greeted by angels, 
and the types of world it is in heaven. So the same thing is in hell, except that the guardians, Khazanatuha, the Holy Quran says, the guardians of hell are also compatible with that type of world. And so you're treated harshly and everything is, you know, a lack of respect and dignity. And it's embarrassment on top of embarrassment. So the Holy Quran says that those who are brought in, they are chained, they're surrounded by fire. Uh, they are made into the fuel of fire itself. There's constant screaming, constantly asking for water. And when they are fed, they are fed boiling liquids, which they drink, the Holy Quran says, like thirsty camels. And yet, those drinks, before they, as they come to them, they're so hot that they melt their faces off and they destroy their insides. And they consume, that's, that's for the drink. And for the food, the Holy Quran talks, for instance, about consuming zakum. And we'll see, we'll see how the Holy Quran describes what zakum is. They wear clothes that are made of fire. They wear clothes that are, uh, you know, in our description, we would say it's like molten tar. Okay, like when they make the roads, they use tar to make the, the roads, the asphalt. Uh, so this is what it looks like. It's just darkness on top of darkness and, and heat. And the, those who are with them, so we saw how those who are in heaven, what type of companions they had. So here again, so the other dimension, the social collective uh, dimension of a human being, there your companions would be devils, others who are like them, and the type of speech that you hear there, it's constant cursing, they curse each other, and they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they ask the guardians to keep them away from each other. They don't, they don't want to be near any of those who are their companions. For all sorts of reasons, because of their hatred towards them, and because of their punishment, which also impacts them too. Okay, and so there is, as we said, there's feelings of regret, guilt. Their prayers are not going to be of any avail. They constantly ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and the angels to just put an end to their existence. So they don't want to live anymore. They ask for death, but. Or just to cease to exist, you know, not death as we understand it in this world, just cease to exist. But of course, that's not going to be possible. They will wish for that again and again. They will ask for water, they will ask for help from those who are in heaven. So there are cases where those in heaven can actually see those who are in hell. Those who are in hell can see those who are in heaven, they talk to each other. And they tell them, pour over us some of that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. But then the answer will come as we will see in Surah Al-Araf. And, and there's a discussion, they will, there's discussions where they are asked, how did you end up there? There are people who knew each other in this world. They looked like they might be going in the same place in the afterlife. But then one of them finds themselves in heaven and the other in hell. And there are discussions between them. And they say how they ended up there. Inshallah, we'll, we'll see a little bit of that and maybe in other times more details. And then, of course, there's a constant disagreement and the fighting between them as groups and as individuals. So there are those who misguided their victims, and there's a, you know, a, a, there are things that are done in this world that whether you know it or not, you're misguiding others. That's one, one, one relationship. Another relationship is those who are oppressing others, forcing others to follow them, to do as they are told. There's also that relationship, and the whole Quran describes both, and then there's the discussion with the devil himself. Okay, so let's look at the verses quickly. O you who have faith, save yourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the believers because the non-believers, it should apply to everyone, but the non-believers will not listen to this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks here, I want you to notice how he talks about hell. 
He says, save yourselves and your families from a fire whose fuel is people and stones. That's what fuels that fire. In other words, it seems like the, those who are made to enter into fire are hotter than fire itself, that they are used as fuel for it. So the fuel of that fire is people and stones over which are assigned angels, severe and mighty, who do not disobey whatever Allah has commanded them, and they carry out what they are commanded in Surah Al-Tahrim. When it cites them, Allah talks about hellfire, when hell sees the people that belong to it, when it sees them from a far place, we said, we described those who are being brought to it, right, in, in the previous time, when it cites them from a far place, they shall hear its raging and roaring in Surah Al-Furqan. When they are thrown in it, they hear it blaring as it blazes. As for the wretched, they shall be in the fire, their lot therein will be groaning and wailing. And so this is a description of the sounds. It is they who disbelieve in their Lord, it is they who will have shackles around their necks, and it is they who will be the inhabitants of the fire, they shall abide therein forever. And another verse, on that day you will see the guilty bound together in chains. So some verses are talking about people individually changed, chained, and other verses talk about people chained together because they belong together in that world. This is in Surah al The next verse says, those who were abased, so those who were oppressed, those who were forced in this world, will tell those who oppressed them, and both of them are in hell. Those who were abased will say to those who were arrogant, rather it was your night and day plotting, when you prompted us to reject Allah and to set up equals to Him. They will hide their remorse when they cite the punishment, and we will put iron collars around their necks or around the necks of the faithless. Shall they be requited or rewarded except for what they used to do? And so this is a reminder. It's not enough of a pretext in this world to say, I was forced to do. And there are verses in the Quran, I don't think we have them here, there are verses in the Quran that talk about this. And the angels tell them, Alam takun was not God's earth wide enough for you to travel, leave these people, if it was to that point bad? It's not enough of an excuse. There are conditions, there are situations where it's absolutely impossible for you. You are stuck and you have to do what you have to do. That's fine. But not every case is going to be accepted. It's only the cases where it's truly an oppression that you could not escape. And if that is the case, that is accepted. But in other cases, Allah does not accept that these people are going to ask to be taken out of hell just because they were oppressed or forced or asked by those who were much more powerful to do certain things when they could have avoided that. And especially think at the time around the Holy Prophet. Yes, Quraysh might be powerful and they might put some pressures on you, but you also know what the truth is and you have the Holy Prophet and he's telling you, side with us and be perseverant and be patient and it's okay, this is a time to sacrifice. Then this becomes the way you have to act. And it's not always about there is an oppressor, they're more powerful, therefore that's it, everything is excusable under that pretext. That's not enough. Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obviously here, this excuse is rejected. In Surah Al-Hajj, as for those who are faithless, cloaks 
a fire will be cut out for them. So this is the clothes that they wear. And boiling water will be poured over their heads, melting their insides as well as their skins. And there will be hooked iron clubs for them. Whenever they try to escape out of it in anguish, they will be turned back into it and told to taste the punishment of the burning. And when they are cast into a narrow place, and this is kind of being thrown, shoved into hell, and yet here the whole Quran says it's a narrow place. Okay? So this is, of course, the place that they're in, they're individually in. And when they are cast into a narrow place therein or thereof, chained together, they shall pray for their own annihilation. This is where we said they constantly ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to end their existence through death or whatever means. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the answer is do not pray for a single annihilation today, but pray for many annihilations. In other words, it's not going to come. No matter how much you ask for death, and we're going to see they're not alive and they're not dead either in, in hell. You're in a state of limbo. You don't really exist. If you really exist, you're in heaven. This is a state between being alive and being dead which we probably can't understand in this world. Okay, but it's reserved to those who are in hell. And we're going to see the verses talk about this. And then the Holy Quran talk about, talks about, you know, Shajarat al-Zaqum, and talks about it in, in Surat al-Safat, in Surat al-Dukhan. Indeed, the tree of Zaqum will be the food of the sinful. Like molten brass, like molten metal, it boils in the bellies, like the boiling of liquids. Seize him and drag him to the depths of hell, then pour over his head the torment of the boiling liquid. Taste, indeed it is you who are the mighty and noble. So here, in these verses, you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically talking to those who were arrogant in this world. They refused the truth, they refused the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his teachings out of defiance and out of arrogance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the answer that they get back. You acted, you thought you were acting with superiority. You're too good to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, too good to accept his prophets. So this is exactly the answer or the, the reward or the punishment that awaits you. Okay, this is the, the, what your actions translate into. And that's why this person is being told, taste this food and this water, this boiling water. Indeed, it is you who are the mighty and noble or so you claimed, right? You claimed that you were mighty and noble, that this is what you deserve now. This is indeed what you used to doubt. And in, in, uh, in another verse, in Surah Al-Safat, is this better in hospitality? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first describes those who are in heaven. He says, are those people better? Are those people treated better? Or the tree of Zakum? Again, the one we just talked about in Surah Al-Dukhan, it talks about it again in Surah Al-Safat, it says, or the tree of Zakum. We have indeed made it a punishment for the wrongdoers. It is indeed a tree that grows from the depths of hell. It's paves. So the Quran says that the, the you know the, the things that should become fruits of it. Okay, the spades uh, are as if they were the heads of devils. Truly they will be eating from it, gorging their bellies with it. And then on top of that, they will be made to drink the scolding liquid. Then indeed their retreat will be toward hell. So it's as though here there's a description that these inhabitants of hell are made to be taken out of wherever they are. That's their main dwelling. 
They come out to eat and drink and go back. That's, that's how you understand it, right? So now you're, you're, they're hungry, they're starving. And so despite this description of Shajarat al-Zaqum, the Quran says, فَمَالِئُونَ مِنْهَا Right? They will gorge themselves, they will keep eating from it. And then they will drink a liquid, like the one that the Holy Quran described on top of it, and then they are brought back to hell for the torment to continue. And finally, these we'll finish with this inshallah, the inmates of fire will call out to the inhabitants of paradise. And this is about, I said there's a lot of conversations going on in heaven and in hell and between them within heaven within we saw the ones in heaven and what they look like now we're going to see the ones in hell and we're going to see even the ones with the devil okay wanada ashabul jannati in surah al-a'raf so you have the people of the, it was a back and forth between them now those who are in fire will call out to the inhabitants of heaven so you those who are in hell are calling out the you can see and you can hear those who are in heaven and those who are in heaven can hear and see them and they tell, they ask them, pour on us, pour on us some water or something of what Allah has provided you. Give us anything from what Allah has given you. They will say, Allah has indeed forbidden both the things that you're, you're asking for, so the rizq or the water that you're asking for, both of these are forbidden for you, both to the faithless, those who took their religion as a diversion and play. They thought none of this was serious enough. Diversion and play, and whom the life of this world has deceived. So today, we will forget them. Today, the day they are in hell and those are in heaven, today we will forget them as they forgot the encounter of this day of theirs, and as they used to, يجحدون, they impugn, they consider it a lie. All of this are lies. How they used to impugn our signs. And then in Surah Al-Zukhruf, those in the fire will say to the keepers of hell. So that was one conversation between those who are in hell and heaven. This one is with the guardians of hell. They tell them, they, they say to the keepers of hell, supplicate your Lord. They ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they see that they're completely ignored. So they turn to the guardians of hell and they tell them, we ask you to ask Allah, invoke Allah, pray to Allah, supplicate your Lord that he lightens for us at least a day's punishment. They will say, didn't your messengers bring you clear proofs? They will say, yes. They will say, then supplicate him yourselves. Don't ask us to supplicate for you. You can supplicate. And the, of course, the Quran continues, but the supplications of the disbelievers are only in vain. And then in Surah Al-Zukhruf, they will call out, Malik, let your Lord finish us off. So Malik is the Khazan. So all of the guardians, the Khazana, the Quran refers to them, the Khazana, these are the angels whose job is to, you know, deal with everything related to, to hellfire. They are all under the authority of Malik, Khazan al Niran, as we have Rudwan Khazan al Jinan, the, the main angel. And we have even narrations, many, many narrations. The Imams are asked, you know, how would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make these angels live in the and hellfire and do all of this and they are are they not tortured by it and, uh, and they say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created a lot of creatures that we may not even know about that live in hell we may know some of it but a lot of it we may not know that's a whole existence happening in hellfire and the Imam say everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created for hellfire he's giving them a type of existence that delights that feels 
that its natural spot is in hellfire. So they're not being punished. The angels who are there, this is where they find their natural place. This is where they find their delight in being in that environment. In any case, so they ask Malik, and, and we have a lot of narrations on, on Malik. They will call out, Malik, let your Lord finish us off. He will say, no, you are surely here to stay. We certainly brought you the truth, but most of you were averse to the truth. And then in Surah Al-Safat, he will say, Allah subhanahu wa will say, enter along with the nations who passed before you of jinn and humans. So this is when every group is made to enter. Of course, there's already many groups that have been made to enter, and now another one is made to enter into the fire. Every time a nation enters hell, it will curse its sister. It's, it's the nation before it. When they all rejoin in it, the last of them will say about the first of them, our Lord, it was they who led us astray. So give them a double punishment of the fire. He will say it is double for each of you. And the first of them will say to the last of them later, the Quran says, you have no advantage over us, so taste the punishment because of what you used to earn. So this is a constant bickering between them and the cursing and the praying against each other and so on and so forth. And then we have verses in Surah Ibrahim, all together they will be presented before Allah. Then those who were weak will say to those who were arrogant, indeed, we were your followers. So will you avail us against Allah's punishment in any way? They will say, had Allah guided us, surely we would have guided you. And then later, this is where we see the devil come in. So they say when the matter is decided over, so everything is done, Satan will say, indeed, Allah made you a promise that was true. And I made you a promise, but I liked you. And I had no authority over you, except that I called you and you responded to me. So do not blame me, but blame yourselves. I cannot respond to your distress calls, neither can you respond to my distress calls. Indeed, I disavow you are taking me for Allah's partner aforetime. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with the fact that I'm not responsible for the fact that you used to consider me a partner with God in the past. Okay, so this is at the end. This is an additional psychological torment for those people. Because you keep, you see what the outcome is, so now you turn to those that you listen to. It's because of you that we're here. So at the end, when all of it is done, they turn to the devil. They say, all of this is because of you. And the devil says, I did not have any authority over you. All I could say is, call you to something, and you obeyed. You listened and you came. I have nothing to do with this. And don't make me a partner with God. I have nothing to do with this. You made me a partner with God. I didn't want to be a partner with God. And then finally in Surah Baha, Surah Ibrahim and Surah Fatr, death will assail him. And this is the, the point that we were saying that this existence is neither death nor living. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says true living is in heaven. So what is this? The whole, the whole Quran, all it says is that it is not life and it is not death. It stays in that state of limbo between both. Death will assail him, that person who's in hellfire, death will assail him from every side, but he will not die. That's in one verse. In another verse, as for the disbelievers, there is for them the hell, the fire of hell. They will neither be done away with so that they may die, nor shall its punishment be lightened for them. So, it never reaches the point where they cease to exist, and it's not light enough that they feel any 
you know, respite or, or happiness or, or, you know, light and light, uh, lighter punishment. That never becomes a, the case. You never get used to what's happening to you. And then finally, for uh, Surah Taha, for whoever comes to his Lord guilty, then indeed for him shall be hell, not living therein, nor dying. So in case there was any doubt about the other verses, very clearly Allah subhanahu wa says, those who are in hell are neither alive nor dead. With this, and I know that we're, we're ending on a fearful, somber, depressing note, but inshallah, with this, we have wrapped up, wrapped up our topic of providing some glimpses, images of the afterlife, the day of judgment from one milestone to another, all the way to those who enter heaven and those who enter hell. And part of the reason, as we said, why perhaps we're giving a little bit more detail here, is that inshallah, it's clear that there are practical uh, ramifications, consequences, effects. The more you understand the details, the more you can visualize, the more you can imagine, and this has an effect on how you behave. This is what drives, what triggers, what makes human beings behave one way or another. The more detail you know, the better it is. So inshallah, with this, you have found this useful, beneficial, and now we want to start talking or going back to the themes related to the topic of the afterlife, which is we want to talk about the relationship between this world and the next. The relationship between faith and action in this world and the type of reward and punishment in the afterlife. What type of relationship is there? What type of relationship is there between faith and action in this world that translates into reward or punishment in the afterlife. And so this will help us understand and answer questions. They will become very obvious, those questions. Like, for instance, what if someone has belief? What if someone has faith, but they have a lot of sins? What if someone has no belief, no faith at all, but they do a lot of good? What if someone has a mix in faith, they lived a part of their lives believing and another part not believing. What if they lived a part of their life committing sins and another part of their lives not committing sins? And so on and so forth. The more we understand the relationship between faith, action, and how they translate into the afterlife and to reward and punishment, the more these things become much, much clearer to us, inshallah. And as we said, we're uh, going to start that uh, the next time we meet, inshallah. So, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, please go ahead. And on this note, we, we end the lecture part. So you mentioned uh, when you uh, spoke about uh, the descriptions of uh, entering heaven and being in heaven. And you said it's uh, he's only given examples uh, to make it like uh, to make us relate to it because of our limited human mind. So does that mean on the other end, uh, descriptions he give of hell is only like uh, things that we know of to make it uh, relatable, but it's actually like more severe? Yes. So that applies to anything and everything related to the afterlife, and. 
and we have verses that specifically, uh, that's why I wanted to specifically talk, for instance, about this verse that says, for instance, Okay, so we have verses that very clearly state that all of this is to make us understand. And then usually those verses add another layer, which is, and only those who truly have strong minds, penetrating minds, are the ones who understand. They're not stuck only at the... If, if the, the most impact, the most benefit for you is this description, and it, Allah Taala knows why He used this description, because it should work for everyone. But those who can go even beyond, they can go beyond, there is room to go beyond them, but then this is where you have to go beyond the human experience. So that's up to you. If you are one of those who aspire, you know, and can reach the levels of the saints, those who can have that kind of purity of heart and to see things much more as they truly are, then there is room to grow into that. But the general description for us normal human beings, this is what is described. So if we need, the reason I mentioned this, and I made a point to mention this, is because a lot of people raise a lot of issues and questions and concerns about specific descriptions about heaven and hell. And if you understand this point specifically, then that becomes your default, by default, your answer to all of these questions. They say, but what, if, what about this description of, you know, the servants or the maids or this hellfire or what you're fed or, and that all of this bottom line is consider this a parable. Consider this as the best example that Allah subhanahu wa could give humanity to guide them to do right. So this should be enough for you to put fear in you so that you do not sin and put enough uh, want in you and desire in you so that you want to do good. That's the purpose of all of this. Are we saying, that's the other point, are we saying that this is a metaphorical language, only symbolic? No. And this is a point that I've made indirectly again and again throughout the series and even in previous lessons where we've said there is truth to all of this. It's just perhaps not the truth that we know in this world. And we gave examples. We said, for instance, the whole Quran is talking about Asur. When it says the blowing of the trumpet, there's a trumpet or a horn. But is it really physically a trumpet or a horn? No. The whole Quran talks about a qalam, noon wal qalam. Is there really like a pen or, or a feather or a piece of wood that writes? No. In fact, if you go to some narrations, the qalam is referred to as one of the greatest angels, a creature like a magnificent angel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to it as because that creature, that entity, performs a task like the one we have when we use a pen. That's it. And the same thing can be said about Allah. And in some narrations, we have a description of what Allah is. And Allah is a creature, it's an entity, it's a living entity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Consider it like a, another splendid, magnificent, great angel, but it performs the role of a tablet, as you would say, somewhere where it's like a repository of all the knowledge. That's the role that it functions, the function that it performs. Which is different than starting to imagine, you know, there's an actual pen and there's an actual tablet and there's a, you know, that, that's the meaning that we want to get to. That there is truth to these things. We're not saying it's all entirely symbolic or metaphorical. 
but it's not also in the material, physical sense that we may understand it at, at a superficial level. Okay? So, inshallah, this is, is clear enough. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes. Based on the discussion between the disbelievers, it looks like those who led others astray were not held accountable for the people they led astray. Is that the case, or are those who led others astray after the death of the Holy Prophet, for example, going to be punished more or differently? No, they will be punished more differently and much more intensity, and they are not only responsible for their own sins and their own misguidance, but also the misguidance of everybody else, all of their sins and all of the repercussions. That The verse is not referring to, let's say, the intensity of the punishment. The verse is referring to the fact that they are all going to be punished. So that's why I focused in those verses on this is not enough of a pretext. That's where the point is. If you were living at the time of the Holy Prophet and you want to say, I'm not going to follow the Holy Prophet, I'm going to fight the Holy Prophet because Quraysh is powerful and so I'm going to join them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is not enough of a good reason. That's the point. In the day of judgment, it's not going to be enough of an excuse for you. It's not going to justify what you did to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you say, there were those who were too powerful. I couldn't find them, fight them, so I simply joined them. And I ended up, you know, fighting the truth, fighting the Prophet, misguiding people, and so on and so forth. So that's not enough of an excuse. That's the point of the, uh, the verse. As for the misguidance that they cause, there are verses, many verses of the Quran that talk about this, and I think we mentioned some of them in the previous lectures, where we said that you are going to be, they are going to be made to carry their burdens, and then the burdens of those that they led astray on top. So everybody is responsible for their own actions. So if I am misguided, I can't blame someone else for my misguidance. As for that, that person who misguided me, they are responsible for their own actions, including my misguidance and anything I do with it, because that is their action and that is a consequence of their action. I don't know if that's clear. Inshallah, that's clear. You're welcome. Okay, any more questions? Yeah. Uh, I had a specific question. When Allah says in the Quran, enter um, paradise, you and your spouses, uh, is it referring to the, to the spouses of this life? And um, why does it say it this way? It seems to be a guarantee that if you go into heaven, your spouse goes into heaven, depending on um, the context of the verse, if it's universal or maybe for a specific people. Yeah, so there's a lot of topics in that question. The first one is, is it a reference to the spouses of the, this life? Yes, that's for sure. The Holy Quran does not talk about, let's say for instance, we may imagine Al-Hurul-Iyn for instance, as we, they're not spouses. Okay, so the the Hurul-Iyn are not women of this world. They're creatures that live in paradise. They're a different entity. Okay, they are not spouses. And the Holy Quran, when, and if you, especially if you go to the narrations, the Holy Quran says that a believer woman who enters into heaven, Al-Hurul-Iyn are cannot be compared to it. Okay, so in case, you know, our focus is the beauty and the desirability of Al-Hurul-Ain, yes, that is the intent for which Allah subhanahu wa created them, just like He created the inhabitants of hell. 
He created those inhabitants of heaven, but they are incomparable in whatever aspect you want to look at to the people actually entering heaven by merit. Those who enter heaven through their good deeds and through their patience and and they're not going to, none of us, inshallah, we're all in heaven, none of us will look like we are looking now. Okay? And so that includes the woman and the spouses entering. Okay? That's one. Two. Inshallah, we will talk about this. And we will touch on the topic of what in this world translates, becomes what in the afterlife. And that includes the things we enjoy in this world. And one of the things we enjoy, we all enjoy in this world, is having spouses. Okay? And both both sides. So men enjoy having women as spouses and women enjoy having men as spouses. And so this is more the, as- the social aspect. The socializing aspect of human beings don't want to be alone. And you feel like this is who you are and who you are extends to your family members. And it extends to those who came before you and those who will come after you. Is this in itself a condition, a necessity, that everybody who has any associations in this world, they're going to have those associations in the afterlife? No. Those are specific people who are good. And inshallah we're going to get into those details because it creates problems on the other side too. We need to answer that objection. What happens to your family relationships in this world? When you are going through the day of judgment, that means absolutely nothing. Until the very end. And inshallah we're going to talk about that even more when we talk about intercession, for instance. There might be family members who can intercede for others. And we have many, many narrations related to this. Women seem to have more of an intercession power than men, if you go through all the narrations. And specifically, daughters have an incredible intercession power for their parents. In many, many narrations, we are told a daughter refuses to enter into heaven and she will keep asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make her father and her mother enter with her into heaven, for instance. Whereas there are no such mentions for the son. The son may be good, but we don't have any narrations that say this this for the son. They may say that for another. The son may be good so they can intercede and so they may choose to intercede for their parents. Whereas the daughter has a stronger relationship of family to her parents. In any case, all of this to say, intercession plays in the afterlife and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is here using that. As out of His generosity, out of His grace, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make some people enter heaven as a reward for other people. Not people who had to have been in hell. Those, it's over for them. But for people who were good enough, maybe you are so good that you are going to be the cause for people who are of a much lower rank in heaven to enter and to enter at your level. Because it gives you happiness. And it gives you delight to have those people around you in heaven. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts all of these people together because it gives them that joy. So at their social level, those people are going to enjoy each other's family relationships. And this extends all the way to the families of the prophets. And we have many, many narrations related to that and how they have descendants and how those descendants will interact with each other. And that includes Ahl al-Bayt alayhim 
Okay, and so this is where all of this plays. Is this a condition that everybody who enters is going to be given all of their family to enter with them? Absolutely not. And this is where we have to talk in a little bit more detail about intercession and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of His grace and generosity, all you need is one of them to be of a much higher rank and then it will most likely pull a lot of them up because of that person or that specific lineage or that specific family. Okay? So inshallah we'll, we'll talk about that, but it's an excellent question. There was a question here. Yeah, so I heard some people say that hell is only temporary, and then, I, and then others say that no, it's permanent. So do we have a concrete answer for this? Uh, yes, there is a concrete answer. Hell itself is not temporary. Okay. There are people who enter hell temporarily. And these are two different things. There are people who are made to stay in hell forever, and there are people who are made to enter hell and they are taken out of it. And this is very clear in the Holy Quran. And so, you know, inshallah, none of us are ever in that type of situation. But there's, it seems clear that people in the Ruayat, people who are muwahideen, who believe in the one God, they end up in the Ruayat, they say, they all end up in heaven. But that is different from saying that they never enter hell. Okay, so I repeat that. Those who believe in the one true God, in the narrations we are told, they will all end up in heaven eventually. But we also have verses of the Quran. We have verses in the Quran that say, They are remaining in there forever. End of story. And we have other verses in the Quran that say, for instance, is either 80 years or 100 years or 120 years. It's, let's say century. They are remaining in there for centuries. Not that we're saying a century is a short time to remain in hell, but it seems to imply that that specific group is going to be taken out of hell eventually. It's different from the verses that say, this is a different group of people than those who are and generally speaking, a lot of the verses of the Quran, when they talk about hell, they don't say khalidina fiha abada. They just say khalidina fiha. As the verses that talk about heaven, they usually say khalidina fiha abada. Once you go in, you never go out. This is not a rule for hell. You may go in and go out. Based on what you believed, based on how many sins you have, then you may go in to be purified, and then you'll be taken out. Okay, and inshallah we'll talk about this and all of this. Is it compatible with divine mercy or not? Inshallah we'll talk about it. I don't know if that was the short answer. Inshallah that's the short answer. It's a very big topic and there's a, actually a lot of categories more than these. But in short, the big categories are there are those who are made to enter heaven right away forever. And whoever enters heaven, they are done. There's no leaving heaven. And you remain in there forever. And there are those who are made to enter hell and you remain in there forever. And that is its own category. And then there are those who are made to enter hell and they seem to come out of it. And if you want to, I can read some narrations that are, I think, very, very powerful, very difficult to read, uh, I would say, by personal experience. But I can read some narrations to you guys that specifically talk about this, that talk about those who are brought into hell and taken out. 
and they in a lot of cases seem to be talking about Shia and about Muslims. Okay, so inshallah, if you want to, if you're interested in the details, we can add that. I was thinking maybe of one lecture where, where we read some some uh, some sermons. So maybe one that one sermon from Imam Ali alayhi salam, we can add that uh, that ruwai to it. There's one lengthy narration that perhaps we'll we'll wrap up this topic. We'll we'll read it there. Inshallah. So during uh, judgment, after the, the second horn, um, everybody goes to the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and also uh, at heaven, the, inhabit, the inhabitants there feel proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, do we have any idea what it means to feel proximity? Is, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala some, something that we can sense the location of? Uh, is it something that we feel is located at a certain um, point? Um, like, what do we know about his presence? Obviously, it's something that we would have to experience to know fully. But um, based off what we know, um, is there an answer to that? The easiest way to understand it is that you feel the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, of course, the more blessings you are receiving from Allah, the more mercy you feel. That, we can understand it to a much, much smaller degree in this world too. This is where the mercy of Allah comes in. And so when you are made to enter heaven, a would say it's like a large part of that experience is really feeling. And so it goes both ways. You feel you're receiving something and you feel you're experiencing something. You, you have made it to attain the special mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now what that looks like, that's what, that's, this is the proximity. And this happens in this world too. Those who feel like they are close to Allah, what are they feeling? Especially, you know, and again, there's a lot that we can read, especially from Imam Ali السلام, regarding this, where he describes a proximity, but it seems to be a rational, intellectual, and spiritual proximity. Something with which you are very intimate, very close. You feel the closeness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this is the case now, but you don't feel it, right? When it talks, for instance, about the Holy Prophet, or it talks about the human being, when it says we are closer to the human being than <laughs> they are them to themselves, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very clear that on His side, the closeness is there. But we are too distracted in this world to realize and to notice. This is the, the aspect of the truth. So the bottom line, the, the shortest answer I can give right now, or I can think of is, no, there is absolutely no point. You know, if, if you're thinking about a locale, uh, like a, a physical or, or geographical location for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, absolutely not the case. And of course, we reject all the verses of the, you know, the, the, the narrations that are mentioned about the, the ability to see God in the afterlife. If seeing means, you know, physically, like seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the sight and all that, absolutely rejected. This has absolutely no value whatsoever. What you will have in the afterlife, what you will experience is the presence of Allah or being in the special mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And not in the sense of seeing God. There is no seeing of God. God is not a material, physical entity to ever be seen. Okay? The difference, so maybe to help with that, the world of hell, the dimension of hellfire itself, is representing all of it together, represents a world that has been pushed out of the mercy of God. 
So all the descriptions that we see of hell and we hear of hell, how it sounds, the, the lack of light, the darkness, the, the everything that is described, the punishment, the torture, one way or another, this is a description of being pushed away from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is what it manifests itself as. Whereas everything that we're seeing in the descriptions of heaven and those who enter it, this is a description of being in the special mercy of Allah. You're getting the special care of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a proximity. <coughs> I don't know if that helps or not. But that the afterlife is split into those two. And the ranks of paradise, because it's an infinity of ranks in paradise. Just like in hell, there seems to be an infinity of levels. So that no matter how good or bad you are, there is a special place just for you. Each one of us is his own rank in heaven or hell. And that's why the whole Quran seems to talk about different gardens. It's not one Jannah. There is one big Jannah. It refers to the whole thing as one big Jannah. But within that, there are many, many Jannat. And there might be specific names given to some categories of these Jannat. Uh, I'm going to stop here because we can get that to become its own rabbit hole. But it's uh, all that to say that those who are at more elevated ranks in, in heaven and paradise, it's because they are closer to the mercy of God. They have more special mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than those who are at a lower level in paradise. But they are all in paradise. Okay, I don't, inshallah, that helps. Um, so just to add to your point, so the fact that hell is pushed away from the mercy of God and the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he talks a lot about uh, the, the source of food and uh, in hellfire and drinks. And, and if we relate in this world, it's like a source of existence. Uh, and the fact that they're not alive and they're not dead. And also that Allah, uh, so that's why we're kind of like an eternal uh, species. So... Uh, could it be that hell becomes their source, like the people in hell, hell becomes their source of existence, even though they're not alive? What they are given in it, yes, it is their source of existence. Okay. That's, that's what they made themselves to be. And inshallah, we're going to explain what we mean by that. Basically, your beliefs and the intentions behind your actions, and this is very key, the intentions behind your actions in this world, all of it becomes you. And that's what you are in the afterlife. The sum of all of your beliefs and intentions. If those were good intentions, then you can imagine the type of entity you become. And if those were bad intentions, you can imagine the type of entity you become. And you live in that state forever. And if there are things that, inshallah we're going to talk about it more, but there are things that make you be a type of entity in a certain way forever. Others, they're more temporary. And this is where you may have someone who enters and then leaves. Enters hell and then leaves. Okay? So, inshallah, we're going to give a lot more detail around that. That's a, another good question. I'm writing these down. We're good? We took a little bit longer, but inshallah it was uh, beneficial and useful.